Once again, kind of just to get us focused and moving, uh, would you stand with me, please, as you're able to do that and honor the Word of God? And we're once again going to read together Romans 13, 11, and 12. I hope you've been memorizing these verses, Romans 13, 11, and 12. Strongly encourage you to do that. But right now, let's read them together. Romans 13, beginning at verse 11, and this is what the Bible says. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and and you may be seated. I need to go ahead and tell you the heart behind this particular series of messages, the reason I believe God has been pushing me to share these things with you, is the urgent need for the church to wake up from its slumber. To understand the hour, the, this, to understand this present time. As Paul exhorted the Christians in Ephesus, I am exhorting you today. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. It is time church, to wake up from your slumber. When Jesus was arrested, he was taken before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And as Jesus and Pilate were talking back and forth, at one point, Jesus said this. He said, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, I want you to let those words sink in. In fact, I strongly encourage you to take some time this week and meditate on those words from John 18, 17. I'm going to talk for just a little bit this morning on the subject of truth. Jesus came into the world to testify to the truth. And he said, Everyone on the side of truth heeds what he has to say. Those are enormous statements. And yet Pilate responded to them essentially with a shrug of his shoulders. The Bible says, what is truth? Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again. Did you catch it? Pilate said, what is truth? Asking the question of the truth incarnate. And immediately upon asking the question, he simply walked away. See, the point is, Pilate's question was less a question than it was a declaration of his ambivalence. The bottom line is, Pilate didn't want an answer. Because Pilate didn't really care about truth. Pilate didn't want the truth. Pilate wanted wanted what was easy for him. Pilate didn't want the truth. Pilate wanted what he wanted. And so we find just a few verses later, even after Pilate says on at least three different occasions that he recognizes Jesus is completely innocent, nevertheless, he has him flogged and executed. Why? Because it got the Jews off his back. 
because it made his life in that moment just a little bit easier. Pilate cared about what he wanted more than he cared about the truth. But let me tell you a secret about Pilate today. Today, Pilate cares a lot about the truth. Because immediately upon his death, Pilate learned something powerful about the truth. He learned that truth is eternal. He learned that truth never changes. He learned that truth never goes away. And that truth always wins out in the end. Because truth always proves itself true. The Greek word most often translated truth in the New Testament is the word aletheia. And it refers to that which aligns with reality. It is truth as what's real. Truth as what's so. Truth as objective reality. So the bottom line is this. The New Testament word for truth leaves no room whatsoever for arguments about your truth versus my truth. Because there is simply no such thing. In the world of biblical Christianity, truth is not up for debate. Truth comes from God. It's revealed by God, and it's personified in Jesus Christ. And I share all of that because so many of the currents pulling at people in our world today are very simply not true. In fact, they're assaults on the truth. And as a lover of God and a follower of Christ, you need to care because you need to be a person of truth. Like no other time in human history, truth is under attack today. In fact, one of the most fundamental undercurrents dragging on our society right now is the false assertion that there is no truth. That there is no such thing as truth, that truth is merely a matter of personal opinion established by each and every individual person for himself or for herself, and that any insistence on the existence of objective truth is really nothing more than a power play, an attempt to force your truth on somebody else. Listen, postmodern philosophers and critical scholars can argue that point till the cows come home, but at the end of the day, when the cows do come home, They will still be cows. They will not suddenly become fish just because somebody says they are fish. As a lover of God, you must be a lover of truth because God is a God of truth. The Apostle Paul declared to the Christians in Rome, let God be true and every man a liar. When Christ came into the world, the Bible says He came from the Father full of grace and truth. And God declares of Himself through the prophet Isaiah, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God speaks the truth and declares what's right. Therefore, as a born-again follower of God, a born-again child of God, you must reject out of hand anything that challenges the Word of God. Anything that rejects, anything that denies, anything that contradicts what God has to say. That means any person or any system of thought 
any current pulling at people in this day, no matter how popular, no matter how seemingly wise or benign, anyone or anything that suggests God's will, God's design, God's commandments, or God's prohibitions are in any way harmful to anybody must be rejected as untrue. As a lover of God, you must love the truth. And as a lover of people, you must want them to know the truth. The truth of who Jesus is. The truth of the way to peace with God. The truth of the will and purposes of God. Of the design and plan of God and His Word. People need God and the Word of God. And as they trust in and lean on God and His Word, they will find in God and His Word the truth that sets them free. Lies may make people feel better for a moment, at least until they figure out it's a lie. But it is the truth that sets people free. Lies cannot do that. Listen to me, if you are addicted to alcohol or drugs, telling yourself you can quit whenever you want to is a lie that keeps you in your bondage. If someone close to you is addicted to alcohol or drugs, telling them they're okay, it's not really that big of a problem, will never set them free. If you believe you are a tomato, telling you, yep, you're a tomato, is not going to set you free and is not going to make you a tomato. So what does any of this have to do with the strong currents in our world today? The answer is quite a bit. Because as I mentioned earlier, many of the currents pulling at people today are very simply not true. They're contrary to the revelation of God. In fact, many of these currents pulling at people today are actually false religions. Gripping people's hearts, gripping their minds to pull them away from faith in God. Sociologists tell us Western culture is now post-Christian. And according to sociologist Philip Reif, part of what that means is this. That religious man who believes in God and therefore believes his place in this world is to honor God and follow his plan, religious man has now been replaced by psychological man. Psychological man who believes only in self and therefore believes his place in this world is to find his own way and his own happiness. But since the human soul demands meaning, some new sort of pseudo-religion had to come along and replace traditional faith. Enter the modern social justice movement. Now, this powerful current has swept up an awful lot of Christians in large part because the truth is social justice is a biblical concept. This week's Old Testament lesson includes these words. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Some translations have it, rebuke the oppressor. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
God cares about the poor. God cares about the orphaned and the alien and the stranger and the downtrodden. God cares about justice. He cares that people are treated right. And there can be no doubt whatsoever that many conservative evangelical Christians need to hear that and repent. Need to change the way they think and behave with regard to the poor and the struggling, the foreigner and the like. The parable of the sheep and the goats makes clear Christ the King is paying attention to how you respond to the needy. But the problem is, much of the current social justice current isn't justice as defined in the Bible, but rather justice as defined by critical theorists in liberal secular universities. It's a false religion that has replaced the hope of heaven and the coming fullness of the kingdom of God with a hope for utopia on this earth. And it's often a false cry for justice, an unjust cry for justice that falsely imputes righteousness exclusively to certain groups of people including anyone who holds traditional conservative Christian values. It is shockingly ironic to me that so many today who would defend the oppressed would do so by becoming oppressors. That they would respond to what they see as cruelty with their own hatred and cruelty. You won't bake a cake for a gay wedding? We'll burn down your business and run you out of town. You host a community meeting with the police? We'll smash everything in your coffee shop and throw paint on that which we did not break. There is nothing less just than much of what is happening today under the label of social justice. Or take another example. In the current social justice current, to oppose abortion is to oppress women. I just recently heard a major uh, political candidate, national figure, say in a speech that efforts to limit abortion deny women their citizenship. And they violate the promise this nation has given them that they can do whatever they want with their own bodies. But here's the truth. No nation in the history of the world has ever promised anyone they can do whatever they want with their own bodies. My right to swing my fist in the air stops abruptly at the point of your nose. You simply cannot do with your own body anything you want to if what you want to do with your body will harm or kill someone else. Make no mistake about it, abortion kills an unborn child. A child whose life and body is different from that of the mother. Now, I believe absolutely that pro-life advocates must do more. Pro-life advocates must do better to love and help and care for women in unwanted or very difficult pregnancies. But to call abortion oppression of women is an absurdity and a lie. 
Additionally, any current that paints one group of people as permanently oppressed and another as permanently oppressor is an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ and is therefore a lie. The gospel plainly declares all people, men and women, rich and poor, white and black, straight and gay and trans alike, to be sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Paul lays it out beautifully in the book of Romans. In chapter 1, he declares all Gentiles to be under sin and in danger of the wrath of God. In chapter 2, he declares all Jews to be under sin and in danger of the wrath of God. In chapter 3, he says, let's review. Everyone is under sin and in danger of the wrath of God. And he sums it up with these words. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Listen, that we could apply to anybody. Jews, Gentiles, Episcopalians, black, white, brown, or other, straight, bi, trans, or gay, are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, every person on this planet, are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Any self-styled social justice formula that reduces the individual to some group identity and then declares guilt or innocence on the basis of that group identity is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and is therefore rooted in a lie. Many of you have been misled into thinking that these currents represent a different politics when in fact they represent a different religion. That's why these currents are so often now accompanied by heresy hunters and scapegoaters. If you don't pledge allegiance to the lie, you must be canceled. If you question the validity of the current, you are immediately labeled and placed into some non-favored group of oppressors. Racist, ableist, elitist, homophobe, Islamophobe, transphobe, and so on. The thought crimes with which you can be labeled and cast aside today seem to multiply by the hour. The pressure to conform to the prevailing current is extraordinary. So if the deceptiveness of the current doesn't pull you in, the threats and the pressure to conform just might. So here's the million-dollar question. As a follower of God, called to love and live the truth, how are you to function in an ocean of swirl with lies? How do you keep from getting sucked in or drowned? How do you keep from just going along in a way that actually strengthens the currents? How do you help others see the truth? And here's a whopper. How do you protect your kids and grandkids from getting drawn away by and lost in these currents? My basic answer to that question is summed up in the title of a book I recommend, Live Not By Lies. It's a book by a guy named Rod Dreher. He's a committed follower of Jesus uh, and a, an insightful student of 
modern culture. But the instruction, live not by lies, sums up the call and the commission to help you walk through this confusing hour. As a follower of the one who is the truth, you must commit no matter the cost not to live in accord with lies. According to the Apostle Paul, it's through speaking the truth in love that we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Listen very, very carefully. It's in speaking the truth in love. Not just in speaking the truth. There are so many lies churning around, roiling the waters of our day. And these lies have been rolling around for so very, very long that for many years now, too many Christians have allowed themselves to be drawn in to speaking the truth in anger, to speaking the truth in judgment, to speaking the truth in rudeness, rather than speaking the truth in love. And the truth is, that's what was modeled for you on talk radio and cable television. But you live today in a world where, one, lots of people are pouring out lies. Two, lots of people are refusing to say anything. And three, many people who are speaking the truth are doing it in a way that is mean-spirited and arrogant. If you're a Christian taking this test, you must choose none of the above. You must speak the truth in love in the hope that even those who vehemently oppose you might possibly hear and turn to God. It's as you speak the truth in love that you grow up in Christ. That's what Paul says. It's as you speak the truth in love that you help others do the same. And part of speaking the truth in love means refusing to agree with the lies. As a person of truth, you may not go along with untruth. So let me close this morning by getting very, very practical with you. I'm going to give you a handful of examples of what this might look like in some situations you're very likely to face. And the handful of examples I'll give today in part are born of my own counseling with people over the last few years. For example, when someone in your school or in your office or in your social club begins to insist they are something they are not. A biological man, for instance, begins to insist he is a woman. I strongly encourage you, as lovingly and graciously and compassionately and as kindly as you possibly can, do not go along with the lie. If that person is authentically gender dysphoric, they need help you're not likely qualified to give. But they will not be helped by you agreeing with their deception. And they will also not likely be helped by listening to you argue with them every day. Zem, Zer, Z, and Zer are simply not real pronouns. And to call an individual they is abysmally bad grammar. So rather than intentionally offend someone 
And you must not intentionally offend someone. Rather than intentionally offend someone in that situation, I urge you to avoid pronouns altogether. Simply refer to the person exclusively by their chosen proper name. Carla's over there, as opposed to she's over there. If at some point Carla asks you why you only refer to Carla by name, graciously and lovingly let Carla know. It's because you really love and care about Carla. You do not want to offend Carla, but you also simply do not agree that Carla is a woman. And so you want to be kind, you want to be gracious, you want to be loving and caring without agreeing with a lie. If your company asks you to sign a statement on diversity and inclusion, that addresses things like homosexuality and transgenderism, you need to read that statement carefully. Because if it commits you as a person to a position that contradicts the word of God, you may not sign it. And here's a really hard truth about the world in which you live right now. These currents have been roiling so long and have become so strong that in many places they are totally in control. And quite possibly, listen to me, quite possibly for the first time in your life, you might face very real persecution for standing firm as a Christian. Now let me push this scenario a bit. If your company has mandatory training in some of these currents, there is no reason in the world you can't sit through that training. Being a Christian does not mean you don't have to listen to other people's opinions. But if a part of that training, if as a part of that training, you're asked to agree with something that's not true, you can't do that, no matter how much pressure is put on you. You can sign a document that says, I completed this training. You may not sign a document that says you agree with it. If part of that training included concepts that are contrary to the Word of God. There's also a difference between a company policy of inclusion that says something like, Company X stands with all our employees, therefore we affirm blah, blah, blah. And a statement that says, As a loyal em uh, uh, employee of Company X, I affirm blah, blah, blah. The first one's a simple statement of what the company stands for, whether or not you stand for it as well. You're free to sign it with a clean conscience. The second one commits you to a position. And if that position is contrary to the word of God, you may not sign it. Make no mistake about it. You need to hear this clearly. Before this is all over, your commitment to God and to the truth of God might very well cost you. It might cost you tenure at a university. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a raise. It might cost you more than that. One of the most difficult situations that occur these days is when someone you know well, possibly even someone in your own family, excitedly tells you of their plan to violate God's design for sex or marriage. Because God is the author of sex, sexuality, and marriage. He is the only person in the universe who has the right to tell you why those things exist and how they're supposed to work. And God has made it clear 
Sex is designed exclusively for the context of committed heterosexual marriage. So when someone tells you they intend different, that they're moving in with their girlfriend or their boyfriend, or that they intend to marry someone of the same sex, you simply cannot say things like congratulations, or that's awesome, or I'm so happy for you. You can say I love you. You can say I'm praying for you. But you cannot celebrate with them that which is contrary to the will of God. Depending on your nature or the nature of the relationship with the person, you may not be obligated to try to correct them. But let me say this. If you are closely related or if you have any sort of Christian connection with the person, maybe you go to the same church, maybe you're part of the same Christian group at college, Maybe you had a conversation at one point about a a mutually shared Christian faith. If any part of your relationship involves a shared Christian connection, you really do have an obligation to warn them of the dangerous, unchristian nature of the thing they're planning to do. I could go on and on with examples, but finally, you must, 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 must talk openly, honestly, and often about these things with your kids and your grandkids. Explain to them the Bible position. Show it to them in the Scriptures. If you don't know the Bible position, find it out today. Let them ask questions and do not be offended by their honest questions. Because the truth is, everywhere they turn, they're being told the opposite of the truth. Talk to them about truth. Talk to them about the goodness of God and the goodness of God's design and plan. Point out clearly and often how so many of the currents that are tugging on them, while they appear to be political or sociological, are actually a competing religion, challenging God and His Word and His will. Pray for your children every day. And pray with them as often as you can with compassion for those who have been caught up and pulled away by these currents. I'm going to return today to something I was doing before. At the end of the service, as we close up, I'm going to be right down here. If you've got questions, if you've got concerns, you hate everything I said and you want to tell me so, I'm going to be here uh, to talk, to listen. to answer questions or to listen to objections. I'll be here, right here at the end of the service. Let me just ask very quickly, um, who would potentially be interested in me hosting a Let's Talk About It gathering to cover some of these subjects? Anybody would be interested in in that? All right. Uh, uh, We'll try and get that on the calendar soon. In the meantime, let's pray. Father God, uh, as always, We thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, your word is truth. Father, Jesus prayed that you would sanctify us by your truth, saying your word is truth. Lord, we trust you. We believe you are true. We trust your word. We believe it is truth. Lord, make us a people of truth. Uh, Forgive us, Lord, for times we've been sucked into lies because they sounded really good, or because we were pressured into it. Forgive us, Lord, for times we've not been willing to speak when it was time to speak the truth in love. 
Lord, forgive us for times we have simply acquiesced with that which is not true. Lord, make us a people of truth in love, compassionate people of truth, like Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Make us that people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.